This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is In the Workplace on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here are Professor Peter Capelli and Dan O'Mara. Hey folks, welcome back. You're in the workplace. I'm Peter Capelli. I'm Dan O'Mara. I'm a professor of management here at the Wharton School. I am an adjunct professor here at the Wharton School and a partner at Ogletree Deacons in the Philadelphia office. And it is not snowing today, which is big news Thank here goodness, on the East Coast. Yes. We've, Sunny. We've had a series of wham wham storms one after the other. Uh, this is perhaps time... the worst March weather wise in memory. Unless uh, you're a skier. That could be. I um, can't even. March usually has a one big storm right around St. Patrick's Day. Yeah, that's true. I was, um, I think I got hit by the first of these nor'easters. Mm-hmm. I was on my way to uh, Abu Dhabi. I and, got hit by that too. Yeah, and uh, I was supposed to leave. a lot of on, time in airports. Yeah, I was supposed to leave on Friday. We didn't leave till Monday. Yeah. Um, which is, oh no, Sunday. Sunday, which was a long time. Uh, and I spent this last week. This is the time of year when on the East Coast of the U.S. anyway, the thing is go someplace else. So I spent last week in uh, Palo Alto, California. Nice. No, nice. it rained every single day. And, nicer than here. Um, no, I'd say no. no, it wasn't really. Um, and I demanded a refund from the California Tourist Board, but Ooh. so far I've gotten nothing. What, because it was them. raining? Because it was raining the whole time. Oh. Yeah. Uh, that's like the big selling card of California, right? It never the, rains. Is the weather is perfect. Isn't there a song about that? Yes. <laughs> Albert Ham- Hammond Jr. from 1974. Oh, wow. I'm checking with our I producer. Is that true? That I'm going to find out. Yeah. Okay, we're going to find out. Al- what's his name? Albert Hammond Jr., Wrote 1974, it. it Never Rains in Southern California. Did he sing it or, ring- or just write it? Uh, sang it. Oh, I don't wow. know who wrote it. Huh? Boy, you are a font of trivia, but my we're friends. Find out if it's, we will it's find out trivia. whether Dan just completely made that up or not. But if you made it up, you made it up with confidence. Yes. And isn't that the important thing? Yes. Right. Okay. We're going to talk about many things uh, today on the show. And if you've just tuned in by accident or on purpose, this is a show where we talk about things going on at work and broadly in the country that relate to employment, to jobs, to work, all that kind of stuff. We're going to talk first in our first half hour of the show about analytics talent analytics a big uh, trend to try to get more sophisticated more analysis in the management of organizations management of people human resources meets data science that kind of stuff and we're going to talk about what is happening in that uh, field for good or for bad uh, what sorts of things are making us better at being able to predict stuff, to define performance, identify good performers, all that kind of stuff. And with us to help us think through this is Chris Powell, who's the CEO of Talmetrics, a company that he's going to tell us more about in just a second. Chris, welcome. Thanks for having me, Peter and Dan. It is our pleasure. So, Chris, I understand that you are a recovering chief human resource officer, that you once ran human resources for at least one company, right? Yes, yes. Um, I was former head of HR for Scripps Networks Interactive, um, parent company for HGTV and Food Network. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so fun job. So <laughs> let me ask you, since you, you've been in that role and now you're out of it, now you're on the outside looking into these companies and HR people, what, um, what do you think was the reason that so many people hate human resources now that you're out of it? <laughs> when you say it, nobody says woo. 
Well, right? yeah, I know, right? Cool, um, cool, man. I don't uh, think so, right? Yeah, Why? I, you know, I, you know, it, I always used to say HR. Depending on what it is that's happening, you either love them or hate them. Um, and I think it's the duplicitous role that um, HR plays. It's okay. a um, a role where it's a clearly it's um, a fiduciary agent and a function for the business, yep. but it's also the chief advocate and champion of the employees. And mm. sometimes mm. Uh, those roles are in conflict. Yeah, like and, m- like a lot of the time, I would think. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Yeah, you know, in particular, if you don't have a the leadership or a culture where things are in more in alignment, yeah, it could be there could be more disagreement or dissonance between the relationship of understanding who HR is and what they're supposed to do and yeah. when they're supposed to do it and how they're supposed to do it. Yeah, um, I could tell you on any given day, I could be whipsawed from championing the company to serving as a um, a mediator between an employer relations issue. So you know yeah. it. It, it could be all over the board. So. Well, let me uh, let me just ask Dan this question, sure. too, since he's in and out of a lot of companies and watching from the outside. Do you see many HR departments being advocates for employees these days? Yeah, it still happens, just really? not a whole lot. Huh. Like what kinds of things are they advocating for? I remember one collective bargaining session where the woman who's in charge of HR started yelling at me because the offer, the wage rates to the employees weren't high enough. No kidding. Ooh. Did she retain her job after that? Well, it was a political situation, and she oh. did. Yeah. Um, okay. And she knew I wasn't going to live. They are already getting 4% across the board raises okay. for several right. years. But I just, it was, it just stuck out. Like, okay. It was so stupid. Yeah. yeah. Chris, let's ask you about uh, analytics, particularly analytics around talent. And, and what is different now than, than when you first started and you were on the inside in human resources? <laughs> what's, what's changed about it? Oh, my God. One, um, my philosophy on talent has always been it is the most dynamic and unpredictable resource an organization has inside of it. However, most organizations are trying to create stasis, and I think one of the biggest things that's changed is organizations, more organizations are getting that, hey, people aren't static, so they're getting that, so that's one big change. Can can I stop you on that? So when you say stasis, you mean they're trying to get every, they're trying to create a human resource system and they're trying to create a workforce for the situation right now. Is that, is that kind of the idea? Yeah, the, like the, like normalizing everything. <laughs> okay, okay. And there is no normalcy okay. in people or organizations. So okay. I think that, you know, in the 25 years I've been in a space, I've seen a significant shift in that okay. um, mindset. Um, the other thing is the proliferation of data. Yeah. I mean, it is massive. Mm-hmm. I mean, from data that comes from our performance, our demographics, our our choices that we make at work, the way we work, who we work with, where we work. I mean, mm. it's just a ton of data available to mm. start creating um, psychographics and ethnographic studies of the workforce that we didn't have, you mm. know, when I first got into HR 25 years so ago. So it was a story that they didn't didn't collect it or it wasn't? Uh, it was they weren't thinking about it, or they it was around and nobody could do anything with it. What, what was your sense? Well, I would say it's always been around. Um, I got first exposed to employee research in 
um, analytics and studies um, when I was at Marriott over 20 years ago. Okay. So it's been around. I think the more progressive companies were on this 20 years ago. Uh, but I think the rest of, you know, as they say, these cycles or these waves take yeah. 20 years for yeah. people to catch up. And I think we're just getting to that point yeah. that yeah. we're getting to a critical um, awareness around the value of talent analytics yeah. and helping drive business decisions, right? Well, here's a, here's a surprising piece of software that, um, well, see if it surprises you. Uh, there was a, a piece of software called ManPlan uh, that was used to do manpower planning in the 1960s. And among other things, this software would predict the flight risk of your team. So if you're a supervisor, it would predict the odds that you would have turnover of any given percent over the next year or two. Mm -hmm. uh, and this was in the mid-1960s, right? And, and I think what happened is that we only saw that stuff in the really big, big companies. Exactly. But they were really pretty sophisticated about it. And then they gutted everything. They got rid of all this stuff. And uh, then we went through a period sort of from the late 80s through to about now where companies had, you know, even a lot of big companies had very little. Um, and now it's coming back. So now mm -hmm. there's a lot of data. And, and as you say, it's easy to collect a lot of this stuff or easier to collect it. So that's a big thing. We got lots more data. What would you say now in your, in your role helping other companies try to figure out what to do with this data, what is the data that is maybe the most important for people running companies to know about, the employee data that's most important? What's top of the list if you're advising somebody that they ought to be paying attention to? Mm, uh, you know, the... the the top of the list that we we speak to a lot with our clients these days is around the sentiment data. So how are people feeling about their experience um, with inside your organization? Because that influences so many other things. It influences engagement. It influences retention. And it influences employer brand reputation brand reputation um, so that's that's one of the top things and and I where do you, you where do you get that data from well you've got to ask the you've got to ask the employees okay mm -hmm. <laughs> and the great thing is in terms of the data that's available from that and you know tr traditionally it was just surveys there's so many other ways now with unstructured data and open forums and being able to do um, sentiment analysis and natural language processing to yep. figure out Mm -hmm. positive or negative. Um, and so it's gotten, the, the tools have gotten better okay. to be able to get that yeah. information in a more real-time, readily available way. And so sentiment analysis, uh, something something new, pretty new too, I think, right? People always had in surveys the opportunity to write in responses. And <laughs> for the benefit of folks who are not all tooled up on this, the natural language basically just means you reading text, right? Mm -hmm. And you can code it up. So now you can process uh, that better. But do you think that that uh, that sentiment analysis predicts performance well? Predicts? Well, I mean, why should we care what people think about the sentiment? Well, I think what happens is, as I mentioned, it influences other actions, right? So I think this is where. If you're listening to what people are saying, and then you can actually track what they're 
doing. You can see if there's a dissonance between how people are voting with their – I mean, you know, are they voting with their feet based on what they said or not? So oftentimes in a survey, there's a question, how likely are you to stay with this company for the next 12 months? Yeah. And there's an open comment. You can give what would influence you to stay or leave, blah, 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 blah. But then you can also track, hey, if you said you were going to leave in the next 12 months, did you? Okay. <laughs> Did yeah. your performance yeah. sustain or improve or decrease? There are other metrics that um, I think um, that are akin that give you other indications now, and so that okay. sentiment is kind of that that intent. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It, you know, gets to starting to, to focus in on intent, and then you can start to measure to see, all right, you know, is this a real experience for this person, or yeah. is this a moment in time that they um, are not as excited to be here or feel different or have a different sentiment about the organization and that's the thing that's so interesting Mm -hmm. is that on any given day you could have a different sense of feeling Mm -hmm. about your experience yeah yeah Mm -hmm. let it snow here in cincinnati with the rain and the snow i'm not going to be that great about like i got to go to work right right (laughs) that's true and that does vary you know one of the things that that you said there i think is it is an important difference uh and that is a generation or so when they were ago when they were collecting data like this they had a an explanation in mind, and that is if this score is high on employee satisfaction or whatever, then that means performance will be X or Y or Z or whatever. And I think now what's different is we're not going in with those assumptions. Right. You know, that right. this this is the relationship. We're going to just look and see, right? So we're going to look and see in this company what the relationship looks like, and then from there on, we'll start paying attention to it. We're not going to assume that simply because this has worked on average someplace else, we're going to use it here. It seems to me that's a pretty big change as well. Yeah, it's been a huge change. One of the things, you know, when I was in chair as an HR leader, I would always remind my team, I say, our employees will say a lot of things. We can't Act or underact or overreact to any of it until yep. we have other corroborating evidence to make sure that we're making the best possible decision for the organization to address either the issue, the opportunity, or the challenge, right? Yeah. <laughs> because okay. so often organizations will do a survey and they will get the results back and they will have a list of issues and challenges and running out the door, hair on fire, oh my God, we got to do all of these things. And they do those things and they still find out it didn't move the needle. Right. on improving the experience for folks. Right. right. Um, and so that's why we always say there's got to be a balance between the facts and the feelings. Um, and that makes for, I think, for a much more informed um, insight around, you know, using data um, mm-hmm. to help drive decisions. Yeah. What kind of uh, information or data would you say is kind of overused or is, is stuff that people are focused on and pay more attention to than they should? Oh, man, that's a good one, Peter. Uh, and I would say, you know, I think people overreact to, to my earlier point just to looking at engagement data. Okay. And I think yeah. most people don't quite even understand what engagement data is. Yeah, okay. And what is it? So what is it? <laughs> you know, in the classic definition, right, it is around the discretionary effort someone yep. is willing to 
contribute to uh, put towards their work, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. We're talking discretionary. We all have discretionary effort, right? right. So right. the time that I was spending on Facebook, I could be doing, I could apply it somewhere else, but right. you know mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, just a little small story. When I was at Scripps, which is a creative company in the media space, I discovered in talking to the employees that so many of them had passions outside of work. And I'm like, wow, that passion could be applied here because we're a creative yeah. space. Yeah, like, yeah, why yeah. aren't yeah. you applying that creativity here? Yeah, yeah, you know? Yeah, and so that's, that's yeah. what has always been my thing is how yeah. do we help people uh, self-actualize and get into that creative space in the mm-hmm. workplace versus mm-hmm. having to leave the workplace to do it. Yeah, so. let's uh, let's just reinforce that uh, for just a second, and before we do that, remind people uh, what we're doing. We're talking with Chris Powell, who's the CEO of Telmetrics, uh, a company. We'll give him a chance to tell uh, uh, tell us what they what they do uh, <laughs> in just a minute. Uh, but let me just say one more word about this idea of discretionary effort. Because I think that is, if you're a manager, if you're an employer, that is the thing you really ought to be paying attention to. Because another way to say this is, how are people behaving when you're not watching them? So they've got discretion as to how hard to work often, uh, what kind of judgment to use, when to go beyond simply what the boss tells them to do. Because uh, bosses can't be everywhere and you can't always know what the right thing to do is. And frankly, if your boss is telling you what to do all the time, uh, that is an incredible waste. That means you got to have two people to do a job that one person could probably do. So that is a profoundly important thing, this idea of um, of managing the discretionary effort of employees. Now, Chris, tell us what uh, Telmetrics does. <laughs> Good question. Um, so, Talmetrics, two words, talent and metrics. Um, we're, uh, we are an employee research, analytics, and insights company. So, we work okay. with companies to help them capture, aggregate, and connect talent data to improve the employee experience, engagement, um, employee brand reputation, and ultimately business performance. Okay. So if you're a company that is doing nothing in this area, so let's say this is um, an old uh, company in the manufacturing business, the founder has been there for a long time, the founder just retires, new CEO comes in from the outside, they got nothing in terms of data management around people issues and human resources, where do you tell them to start? What's the first thing they ought to be doing? I'd say the basics before. Know, know who's in the house. Okay. Right? So do you understand the composition of your workforce? So many companies don't even know that basic insight. Okay. <laughs> understand who's in your workforce, what skills, what talents, what attributes, um, the level of diversity or not that's inside your organization, and yeah. diversity in the broadest sense of you know different backgrounds, knowledge, skills, et cetera. Right. Um, so many companies don't know that. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I've prescribed to a lot of our customers, in particular if they've never done anything like your example there, is let's start there because that will start to give us some insight on the things that we need to think about in developing a, um, um, a strategy to get more data from your folks. Okay. And so that, I think that's the first step. Okay. Know thyself. <laughs> yeah, and thyself in in this case is, um, in, of your employees, in particular, you want to know what kind of skills they've got, what they've done before, right? Because what they're doing might, right now might not be the only thing that's important for them to be able to do, you know? Exactly, and it also touches back in on the discretionary effort, okay. you know? Um, someone could have a secondary skill that 
if if the manager knew about it, could tap into that, and that could prompt that person to want to do more and be more for that organization. Okay. Exactly. Okay, so we got that. Okay, so we've mapped that out, let's say. Um, what's the next thing you'd want them to do? Uh, the next thing I want them to do is really get an understanding of the capability of the managers and the leaders. Okay. <laughs> so back to that earlier ah, point, okay. how how capable are the managers or leaders of managing and 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 tapping into that discretionary effort and commitment uh, of the employee population? Because that's always job one. You, you've heard it for years. People leave companies. They leave managers. They don't quit companies. They leave managers yep. of these companies, and that yep. that has consistently been in the top three reasons why a lot of people leave organizations. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah. But part of that is you know over the twenty, almost thirty years. Oh my God, thirty years of being in the space, mm-hmm. we've seen a decrease in organizations investing mm. in manager. Um, training and development. Yeah, yeah, right, right. So I think that's right. I am not surprised that we're in this place where we've got hyper turnover and attrition in organizations because we haven't trained managers to be managers. Right, right. So you think um, a lot of this turnover that people are complaining about is being pushed out by lousy managers? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I mean, and in short, in short, because when we're in and talking with clients and understanding, hey, what are you offering in terms of the employee experience, in particular around development and career development, training and things of sort? Okay. Very, very little. Okay. And yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm, I've benefited from years of growing up in companies like Ford and Deloitte and Marriott, of mm-hmm. getting an enormous, enormous amount of training and development yep. over the years. You just don't see that. Anymore. So how do you, you? So how do you tell what the capability of your management team is because uh, if you're the boss looking down everybody looks like they're behaving everybody when you talk to them sounds smart mm-hmm. how do you tell whether you got lousy managers or not <laughs> well the, the, the old the old adage right um, clearly you could do the whole battery of assessments and skills assessments around the piece but you got to get the feedback okay. from the employees who okay. are being managed by the manager yep. and okay. the manager's manager who's managing <laughs> okay yeah so you're asking the employees and so you got to do some survey gathering mm-hmm. right yeah. Yeah. and uh, so one of the things you want to ask in this survey is about their immediate supervisors and what those interactions are like okay right. and we said before you want to identify um, what capabilities the people have, what things they've done before, what tasks they've performed, what skills they speak, things like what language they mm-hmm. might speak, all that kind of stuff, okay? What do you do after that? Well, one other question you want to ask, too, is around their mindset, uh, okay. which is a big thing these days. Um, you know, it, is it a growth mindset or a fixed mindset? Because you might put that leader in a different role if that's the case. Okay. Um, the other things you would, you would ask about, I, I think, at least try to get some data and insight around, is around, all right, how are the infrastructure to enable the work, <laughs> right? Okay. All right, do people have the tools, resources, and information and systems to be able to facilitate and do their job? Okay, right, right? okay. Um, right. You know, oftentimes I used to laugh um, – you know, I worked at a particular company that um, was in the tech space and didn't really have good te- internal technology. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I'm shocked at that. Yeah, <laughs> right. Exactly. Right. So you're going to try to figure out that stuff, um, and then you better act on it, right? Because right. if you ask employees uh, for their views on all these things, they don't hear anything back. Um, they start to get 
cynical as yep. well as well they should right because yep. you're asking you're not doing anything about it um, okay so then we start doing things about it but let's talk about the analytics part so you learn yeah. some things about how good your managers are if they're lousy you better do something about that maybe it's training maybe it's getting new ones in but what do you do on the analytics side besides the descriptive data telling you sort of where where you got problems or where you got capabilities. Right. So now this is where it becomes fun, and I start to geek out a little bit. Okay. There is a proliferation of data and different types of data that are available um, inside of organizations. Clearly, most of us are familiar with the demographic data, gender, ethnicity, age, yep. blah, 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 blah. But there's also performance data. And so... For example, um, you know, most companies still have performance ratings and performance feedback, and that's becoming even more real-time and more frequent, which is great. And they also have productivity data. So okay. years ago, I used to be the head of HR for a uh, call center division. Okay. We had data on, we knew how many phone calls a, a rep took, we knew how many they dropped, how many came to a good conclusion, how many had a recall. Those were other insights to see how effective Okay. Um, the employee was at their job beyond okay. what I would call the subjective measure of a performance review. <laughs> right. <laughs> Where are the, what I call the experience data that shows evidence of your productivity or your performance in your role. So okay. that data is out there. And for sales folks or revenue generating people, it's usually in the CRM system mm -hmm. where those that data is. And so we're able to mine that data along with the sentiment data to see if there's a relationship okay. or, between um, how somebody feels about their work and their level of productivity and performance. Right. And I think, uh, back to our earlier point, you don't know for sure what you're looking for yet, but you're looking to see if particular responses from employees, like they're mad at their manager or something, is associated with particularly bad performance in sales and other aspects of their job, right? And exactly. Then, and, and then you got a key as to where to start looking. I wanted to ask Dan a question here. Sure. Let's say, Dan, you're in this situation that we're just, Chris is describing. It's a company that hasn't played around with this stuff before. Now they got a bunch of data. They're starting to play around with it. It's got uh, performance data. It's got diversity issues, demographic data on it. Do you get worried as the counselor to this firm? A little bit, not that much. Okay. I mean, it, it's the point you may be making is that they're gathering this data that could be amenable to discovery in later proceedings by someone who gets fired to say, yep. oh, people in my classification were fired much more significantly, et cetera. It could work against the company. If the gathering is part of a bona fide, I'll call it legal compliance initiative, like let's say you want to do a uh, uh, um, compensation equity audit within your organization. Okay. Are you paying women less than men for, for similar jobs? Right. Um, you could, if that's part of a compliance effort, uh, have all those papers be privileged and confidential, prepared at the request of counsel. Which means um, they can't you, they, uh, you don't take have them to cough them up later. Yeah. Um, okay. But w without all that, the stuff probably is discoverable, might be excluded later in evidence. I can guarantee you there will be lawyers out there at certain mm -hmm. times throwing the papers on the ground saying, darn it, why did my client do that? Yeah. Right. But if they got a bona fide reason to do it, I don't think the legal tag tail should be wagging the business dog. Okay. Okay. That's good. Always good. I should say for listeners out there, Dan also has an MBA. Uh, yes. So inside his, his head, there's this there's this fight going on all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Lawyers saying, don't do. MBA yeah. saying, do. And it's fun to watch. Yes. Uh, you can, or, you can or see the steam coming what, off. What the company ought to do is, in all yep. cases, balance the business benefit to the initiative with the legal risks. Yep. And it could be done in a dumb way that, that the legal risks 
outweigh it, but usually not. Yeah. Chris, before we let you go, let me ask uh, about some of the things that you've learned from this, watching lots of companies, about relationships uh, between employee behavior, whether it's sentiment or attitudes, whatever, and outcomes that really matter to the business. Is there anything uh, that you're seeing over and over? Is there anything you're seeing that's surprising about the relationships when you do the analytics for companies? Yeah, what's, what's, what I'm finding fascinating in, in the universe of data that I get to see is that um, employees are committed while they're there, but they're not committed there for the long term. What we're seeing um, out of some of the data is this thing around career and career capital. Um, oh. Yeah, it's fascinating mm. is that individuals are saying, hey, you know, organizations are evolving and dynamic, you know, downsizing, shifting constantly, you know, being merged and acquired. They're like saying, hey, I need to make sure that, hey, the opportunity or the job I'm in is accretive to my overall career okay. versus, mm-hmm. hey, I'm committed to XYZ company. I'm committed to making sure that I have marketable uh, and competitive skills so that in the event I need to go look for another opportunity, I'm marketable. Okay. And so okay. we're seeing that um, where people are saying, hey, I, you know, I enjoy this experience. However, it's not likely that I'm going to, you know, uh, you know, grow my career here. Okay. So yeah. that's been yep. fascinating. Insight. Yeah, and uh, perfectly understandable, right, because we've been telling people that for a long time. You've mm-hmm. got to make yourself marketable. You've got to keep your skills up to date, et cetera, all that stuff. Yeah. yeah, so it makes perfect sense. Chris, thanks for being with us. Chris Powell is the CEO of Telmetrics, a company that helps you do the analysis of data around people and its effects on business. We're going to take a break here. We're going to come back and talk about current events, and I guarantee you some of them will be marvelous. We'll be right back with you in just a minute. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 